Green Pastures are the weekly devotions published by Vineyard Boise, consisting of four parts, the reading, the reflection, the question, and the prayer. Green Pastures for Saturday, September 24th. A temporary arrangement. Today's scripture reading is found in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 6 through 10 from the Message Translation, which reads, After this was set up, the priests went about their duties in the large tent. Only the high priest entered the smaller inside tent, and then only once a year, offering a blood sacrifice for his own sins and the people's accumulated sins. This was the Holy Spirit's way of showing with a visible parable that as long as the large tent stands, people can't just walk in on God. Under this system, the gifts and sacrifices can't really get to the heart of the matter, can't assuage the conscience of the people, but are limited to matters of ritual and behavior. It's essentially a temporary arrangement until a complete overhaul could be made. This is God's Word. The upside of good temple spaces, the limitations and the seemingly inevitable downside of even the best temple spaces. Both must be reckoned with, which Barbara Brown Taylor actually does rather well in her book An Altar in the World, worth the read, just saying as she takes us through altar and tent and temple right back once again to the garden and to the greater reality of us, humanity, the body of Jesus as the ultimate temple. And once again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry, I just can't help it. And so I place my hand over my mouth. Barbara, please take us home. She writes, Surely the Lord is present in this place, and I did not know it. When those words came out of Jacob's mouth, there was no temple in Jerusalem. Without one designated place to make their offerings, people were free to see the whole world as an altar. The divine could erupt anywhere, and when it did, they marked the spot in any way they could, although there was no sense hanging around for long since God stayed on the move. For years and years, the Divine Presence was content with a tent, a tent of meeting, the Bible calls it, which was not where God lived full-time, but where God camped out with the people who were also on the move. God met with them outside the tent, too, but the tent was the face-to-face place, the place where the presence of God was so intense that Moses was the only person who could stand in it. When Moses came out of the tent of meeting, his face was so bright that he wore a veil over it in order not to scare the children. The tent suited God just fine for hundreds of years. It suited God so well, in fact, that when King David proposed giving God a permanent address, God balked. Are you the one to build me a house to live in? God asked. I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. So David did not build God a temple. His son Solomon did, however, and from that day forth, God's address was Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Even today, two ruined temples later, people from around the world still go to Mount Zion to tuck their prayers into the foundation stones of God's old house. 
As important as it is to mark the spaces, Barbara continues, as important as it is to mark the spaces where we meet God, I worry about what happens when we build the house for God. I am speaking no longer of the temple in Jerusalem, but of the house of worship on the corner, where people of faith meet to say their prayers, because saying them together reminds them of who they are better than saying them alone. This is good, and all good things cast shadows. Do we build God a house so that we can choose when to go see God? Do we build God a house in lieu of having God stay at ours? Plus, what happens to the rest of the world when we build four walls, even four gorgeous walls, cap them with a steepled roof, and designate that the house of God? What happens to the riverbanks, the mountaintops, the deserts, and the trees? What happens to the people who never show up in our houses of God? The people of God are not the only creatures capable of praising God, after all. There are also wolves and seals. There are also wild geese and humpback whales. According to the Bible, even trees can clap their hands. Francis of Assisi loved singing hymns with his brothers and sisters, who included not only Brother Bernard and Sister Claire, but also Brother Sun and Sister Moon. Francis could not have told you the difference between the sacred and the secular if he had twisted his arm behind his back. He read the world as reverently as he read the Bible. For him, a leper was as kissable as a bishop's ring, a single bird as much of a messenger of God as a cloud full of angels. Francis had no discretion. He did not know where to draw the line between the church and the world. For this reason, among others, Francis is remembered as a saint. Of course, Francis also built a church. In a vision he had, as vivid as Jacob's vision of the divine ladder, God called upon Francis to rebuild the church. Unsure what church God meant, Francis chose a ruined one near where he lived. He recruited all kinds of people to help him build it. Some of them just came to watch, and before they knew it, they were mixing cement too. Others could not lift a single brick without help. But that worked out, since it led them to meet more people than they might have if they'd been stronger. To most of them, building the church became more important than finishing it. Building it together gave people who were formerly invisible to each other meaning, purpose, and worth. When it was done at last, Francis's church did not stand as a shelter from the world. It stood as a reminder that the whole world was God's house. I knew that when I was young, and then I forgot. End of quote. Thank you, Barbara. Get the book. May we not forget. Now, as you pause for a moment of personal reflection and prayer, Ponder this. When it was done at last, Francis's church did not stand as a shelter from the world. It stood as a reminder that the whole world is God's house. No question here. Just an opportunity to pause for this moment of personal reflection and prayer as you ponder that this whole world 
God's house. Us, God's house. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are always praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. One day spent in your house, this beautiful place of worship, beats thousands spent on Greek island beaches. I'd rather scrub floors in the house of my God than be honored as a guest in the palace of sin. All sunshine and sovereign is God, generous in gifts and glory. He doesn't scrimp with his traveling companions. It's smooth sailing all the way. God of the angel armies. Selah. Pause in his presence. <laughs> 